Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. It's your first time. I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. Uh, we are in the middle of a series. This is week two, titled Silent Sermons. Everybody say Silent Sermons. And the title of this one is Love. Everybody say Love. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. You're like, that is so weird. I don't know my neighbor. I don't want to say, like, I love you. But then if you're sitting next to your crush, you're like, I love you. Seriously, I love you. This is our moment. You said it too. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> we, uh, uh, we have this uh, thing we say all the time is that our goal is to be the most loving church on the planet. And that's not a tokenary statement. And if I could just be honest, the reason why this whole series, Silent Sermons, was birthed is uh, every Sunday when people come, they can hear a message. You know, some messages are better than others, you know. Like one week people come up to me like, this was your greatest message ever, you know. And then some people are like, last week was your greatest message ever. And then some Sundays are like, eh, keep on going, bro. Um, but if I'm being honest, the, the sermons that really change the world when people come to this church are not the ones that I'm just speaking from the platform. No, no, no. The loudest ones is how we live as a church. The way you live your life, man, that's so loud to this world. I could preach the greatest message, but if our church is judgmental and, and arrogant and not humble and, and like police man Christianity, nobody wants to be a part of that. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 5, 13. It says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What it's saying is you are the essence of Christ. When you walk into a room, you should flavor a room. A Christian should walk into a room and it should just get better. If the room was great, it should get greater. That's even a word, okay? I don't know, maybe. My wife's grammar, I'm terrible at grammar, okay? Um, if a room is in a terrible condition, you walk in, it should start to get a little better because you are the salt of the kingdom goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. When you get saved, you go from dead to life. This is not some moral transformation. This is a spiritual Holy Spirit regeneration. You go from asleep, dead to the things of heaven. You don't know about promises. You don't know about redemption. You don't know that God has an eternal plan for your life. And then you wake up, man, you don't stay quiet about that. You let people know my life has been changed. This is what the light of the world looks like. Goes on to say, instead they put it on a stand and give its light to everyone in the house. AKA, they show it to people. How do we overcome the enemy? Not by you being the smartest Christian, just sharing your testimony. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was in a poor family, nobody was saving my family. I suffered from depression, I got saved, and God gave me joy and a purpose. That's my light. In the same way, let your light shine. Can we be cheesy real quick? Tell your neighbor to shine real quick. Shine. Just tell him to shine. Do it. Okay. Just do it. Just do it. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Stop. How sad would it be if you've been in church for 20 years, never missed a service, you learned all the Greek, but you never shined for Jesus? How sad would it be if you uh, moved mountains and spoke in tongues and raised the dead? you never really shined for Jesus. How sad would it be? And if I could just put it this way, have you ever walked into a room when somebody's watching a movie and it's in the middle of the movie and you have no idea what's going on? Have you ever been that person? 
Can you imagine walking into the middle of like Frozen? Like you walk in the living room and somebody's watching Frozen and this girl's just yelling, let it go, let it go. And you're like, what is she letting go of? Like, did mom and dad not go to her like softball games? Did she just break up with a guy? And she's like, let it go. You know, what, why is she letting it go? It's confusing walking into a movie in the middle. Can you imagine walking into the Lord of the Rings in the middle? You'd be like, okay, what is going on? Who's the elf who's not a very good actor, by the way? And also, who's the wizard with the horse? Oh, somebody likes uh, Orlando Bloom. Uh, anyways, and what's the wizard dude doing there trying to save the day? And then why are these hobbits like touching that ring and then they're seeing things? You'd be confused. Can you imagine? Do you guys remember where you were when the first time you saw The Matrix? Raise your hand. If you've never seen The Matrix, you're fine. Um, <laughs> But I'll never forget watching the Matrix. And, you know, Connery's like, I can dodge bullets, you know? And, and he's like, no, you can actually like stop bullets, you know? And so could you imagine like in the middle of the Matrix, like, like, oh, like what am I watching right now? Well, if I could just be honest, I think sometimes people come to church and church has been going on for thousands of years. And when church loses its way, it gets really confusing. But what I love about Jesus is that you can encounter Jesus at any part of your life and encounter Jesus at any time and it's not confusing because he keeps it really simple. Christianity's really simple. Love God, love people. And I could just be honest, the whole book, you can open it up anywhere and it's gonna point to the same thing, Genesis. You open it up, mankind is created, they fall, they get deceived by the enemy and the first promise is the promise of Jesus. The book of Genesis is about Jesus. Exodus is about Jesus. Isaiah even has this amazing verse. It's, it's, it's kind of like a Christmas verse, we might use it, but it says this in Isaiah. It says in Isaiah 9, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah, it's about Jesus. You open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's about Jesus. You look at the book of Acts, it's about these people who are lifting up the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. All about Jesus. You look at all the epistles, it talks about us being more and more like Jesus. Jesus is the standard. Jesus even promises the Holy Spirit. He says in John 13, I'm going to give you the helper, the advocate. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Why? So he can testify about me, Jesus. You go to Revelation, let's go to the last book in the Bible. You know what Revelation is about? It's about Jesus coming back for his church. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then you go to churches and you're like, man, are they fighting over what I think they're fighting over? Are they having questions about those things that are so just sideways energy when if we just lift up the name of Jesus, we could change the world? <sighs> Let's pray. I feel like I just yelled at you. I need to recalibrate. <laughs> Jesus! Um, bow your heads. Lord, we love you. Uh, bless the message. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Uh, I pray that my words will fall to the floor and your words will soar. We thank you so much that you gave us this word, 66 books written by over 40 authors, and it's perfect. And it's not just letters and pages. It's alive and active. It, it's, it's your love story towards us, Lord. It's, 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 it's your magnificent glory we get to read and see, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you. And everybody said? So what I wanted to do was I wanted to actually look at a church and take it as a case study so we could learn from it. And so I decided to go to look at the Church of Corinth. Now, the book of Corinthians is two, uh, two books. Paul planted the Church of Corinthians, uh, Church of Corinth, excuse me. Acts 18.9, Paul has now been uh, stoned to death almost a couple times. He's kind of discouraged. God comes to Paul in Acts 18 and says, Paul, do not be discouraged, do not be afraid. I'm gonna use you to plant a church in, uh, in Corinth and there are people in the city. I have people ready to say yes to Jesus. People are going to get saved, go get them. And so, it's an amazing uh, statement that God uses uh, Paul to plant uh, the church of Corinth. But then if you actually look at this 
story of this church. They are the most dysfunctional church ever, okay? They would be prime time Jerry Springer. They've got son-in-laws stealing wives from their father, okay? This is bad news stuff. And not only that, the church is celebrating it like it's a good thing. So Paul writes him this powerful, powerful verse. And if I'm being honest, you've probably seen it and heard it in the movies. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. Because here's the question we've got to ask ourselves, even before I get into this point. Again, simple sermons, love. What's the loudest thing the world needs? What does the world need? Do they need a smart church? Would we really shine? Would we really make an impact if we were the smartest church? Like we get all the academics together and we know the Bible front to back, Genesis all the way through Revelation. Let me tell you about the Pentateuch. Let me tell you about the oldest book, Job. Let me tell you about the last written book, Chronicles. Let me tell you about amillennialism, premillennialism. Hold on, what's your dispensational view on da-da-da? Is that going to change the world? No, it's going to attract a certain type of person that loves talking about academics and it's going to feed their puffy knowledge thing and that's about it. Is knowledge good? Yes. I'm not going to change the world. What if we were the moral church? And everything, we just focus on doing everything right. And so our kids were perfect. And then as a, a married couple, we go out to the restaurant and we're just always smiling at each other. And we're always saying hi to people. And we're like, hey, we're the moral church. We're always happy. Huh. We're going to freak people out. Nobody, nobody, can I just be real with you? Nobody identifies with your strength. God doesn't like to use your strength to, for his glory. Very rarely you see that through the Bible. You know what people identify with? Is your weaknesses, your messes. Because all of us, if we could all unite over one thing, is we've all been hurt by sin. And so what would make a church change? What would make a church the most impactful? Let's put it that way. And I would submit to you that it's love. I would submit to you that a church that loves God with all their heart and loves this world with all that they are could do something that we've never seen before. And so Paul comes to this church, and something I don't know about the church of Corinth is they are full of movers and shakers. And so they are doing amazing things. They are seeing scholars. Some scholars even say that they are so um, uh, powerful in the Holy Spirit that they are raising people from the dead, that their faith is huge. So they're doing a lot of great things, but they're super dysfunctional. And so Paul writes this thing. You gotta see, because you've heard in so many movies, you don't really understand how Paul is saying it, how big a rebuke it really is. Because we hear it at weddings. Like, let's just read real quick. First 13, 1 through 7. The beginning goes, If I could speak in all the languages of all the earth and of the angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Like, it just like you, you hear it in a wedding, you're like, oh, yeah, it's just love. You know, it goes on to say, it goes, If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sanctified my body, I could boast about it, but I didn't love others. I would have gained nothing. So he goes on to say, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Stop. So again, the city of Corinth, if we could just understand what's going on, 
Let's look at the, the, the context, two things, the city of Corinth and then the people of Corinth. So the city of Corinth. Corinth is this amazing city. In 150 BC, it was destroyed by Rome because they rebelled. Julius Caesar comes into power. He sees the potential in Corinth because it is a trade route city where he makes it a Roman colony and it becomes one of the most populated, influential cities of its time. Uh, one of the most impactful, richest cities. So if you go to Corinth, you're about to get rich and it's a Roman colony. Why is it gonna be a place where you can get rich? It is a, on a trade route. The northern provinces have to go through Corinth to get to the southern provinces. The southern provinces have to go through the, uh, through the route to get to the northern provinces. So you're gonna have a lot of traffic. Not only that, if you wanna go east or west, there is two ports that are strategic that you have to go through. So it is this place where you go to to get rich. This is Corinth. And not only that, it's a place where you come to make a name for yourself. Now, if you don't see the connection between Corinth and the Bay Area, you a tourist, okay? You don't live here. Because if you come to the Bay Area, let's just be honest, you're not coming to the Bay Area to kick your feet up and just retire and have a good time. Nobody goes like, you know what? I just want to move to the Bay Area by $800,000 one-bedroom condo and just relax. That doesn't happen. We come here to get rich, people do. That, that's what the Bay Area is known for. It's the, the richest pocket. It's the tech boom. Things are happening in the Bay Area. Now, if you move to North Dakota, you're like, okay, I'm moving to North Dakota. I'm going to get me a little ranch. I'm going to have a nine to five. going to know the person at my grocery store. going to go to church on Sunday, have my kids in youth group, and we're going to live a good life. That's North Dakota. This message would not correlate. The, the similarity between Corinth and the Bay Area, it's, it's eerie. Not only was Corinth, this influential, rich, powerful city, but it was a very sexual city. They had on a mountain, the temple of Aphrodite, and at nighttime, a thousand plus prostitutes would come down from that temple into the streets for people to have pleasure. And so what is Corinth known for? They even coined a term. The Romans coined a term if you went to Corinth, you would get Corinthianized. If you go to Corinth, get ready to be Corinthianized. And if I'm being honest, if you live in the Bay Area, get ready to get bayized. It's made a word. Yeah, it's not real. Is, is that a word? Is he a genius? Uh, no, no. But the culture of Corinth seeped into the church. What kind of city does that attract? It attracts movers and shakers, type A people. If I could just unpack it to you, I think the, the people of Corinth, you have to understand what kind of people are there. They are gifted. These kind of places, if I could just be honest, I'm not blowing up North Dakota. There's a bunch of great people in North Dakota. Anybody from North Dakota, I'll use a different state. South Dakota, how's that? Um, uh, like both the cities. But, but these kind of areas even draw the best and brightest that society has to offer. And so you get these type of movers and shakers. And so Paul is, Paul is in what we call a quandary. He's in a tough spot. He's got the, his most gifted church, but he's got his most troubled church. He is saying to them, I get it. You guys are amazing. You're, you're birthing great ministries. I get it. You're, you're some of the smartest people. And so you're doing great things. I get it. You have this Holy Spirit and you are raising people from the dead. You are healing people. But guess what? You don't love God and you don't love people. So your church, guess what? It's nothing. This is what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 13. He's saying, oh, you move mountains, but you do not love. You're nothing. Oh, you're the smartest people and your church is amazing because you've got a lot of smart people and it's growing. No, no, it's nothing. This is a, the rebuke of all rebukes. He goes on to say, and if, if we just read this because we don't understand the context as well, but he says that if I do these things but didn't love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Do you know what he's saying right there? Pagan worship back then, they would have cymbals and they would 
clang them together. They would have a gong and just hit it. Thank you for not bringing cymbals, by the way, today, okay? You know what I'm saying? Or a gong. Good grace, good God, dong, you know? Be weird, okay? Um, this is not how we do it here. Um, but the reason why they would have cymbals and why they'd have a big old gong to hit was simply this. This is why pagans would worship. They wouldn't worship to give glory to their God. They would worship to get from their God. So they would hit the cymbals. And whoever could hit the loudest and scream out the loudest, they were saying, look at us, gods, look at us. Give me, bless me, give me, give me, give me. I came into this worship service to make a name for myself as the best worshiper, so therefore I'll get the best stuff from heaven. And what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, you ain't nothing but a pagan church. You worship to get, you obey to get. You hit the loud things and say, look at me. Now we don't have symbols in church, we don't have a, a gong in church, but here's what we do have. We have people in church that have all these laws. And they say, if I do this and this and this, people will say, look how great that person is. And so you claim your symbols differently, but you're still claiming symbols and say, look at me. You give yourself a grading system. And so you grade your day or you grade your week. If I do all these things this week and I get an A this week, God's going to give me more in an abundant life. Do you know that your walk with the Lord is not about a grading system? It's about grace. And you don't obey God to get, you obey God because he died on a cross for you. And if you obey God, it's the best life anyways. And so the church of Corinth is super dysfunctional. They are doing amazing things and they are developing the worst type of Christians. There's this moment in Matthew 7, if I could just go there real quick. Matthew 7, it, it, talks, about, <laughs> it talks about this uh, four warnings that the Lord gives. The four warnings is one is the two roads in Matthew 7. He says, broad is the road that leads to death. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And the road is not a thing. The road is a person and his name is Jesus. All four warnings are relationally driven. Do you know that the Bible is not a religious thing? It's a relational thing. So he's saying, if you want to walk down the road of life, you got to go through me. I am life. You got to come to me. So that's one of his first warnings. Don't go to the broad road where everybody says this John, the gospel, if I could just, let's do a side real quick. I, gotta, I wanna speak to anybody who's brand new to church real quick. So Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist would literally, like when Jesus first came on the scene, like in his ministry, he's like, behold the lamb of God. He's pointing, there's Jesus, all about Jesus. So Jesus starts his ministry. And within the first few chapters, you'll see this five times, sometimes more, and you'll hear people say this, come and see Jesus, come and see. You gotta come and see the goodness of God. You gotta come and see a loving God. You gotta come see somebody who heals all diseases. You know that he healed uh, Timmy and Timmy is the worst sinner in our village and he still healed Timmy. He just came up, he's, he said he healed everyone and all their diseases. It wasn't like, mm, yeah, you're the good one. I'll heal you, but I'm not gonna heal you. No, 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 Jesus. So then people come to church. Let's pause real quick. People come to church and we say, come and see church. And they get in this religious type of atmosphere where they think if I do good, I get good. That is not the gospel and that's not what the church should be. And that's what Corinthians are doing because they're movers and shakers and they earn their wages. So they earn their blessings. No, no, no. My wife, we've been married seven years and uh, my wife does this probably four or five times a week. No exaggeration. She will ask me this and I'm always ready. So we were in Napa on Friday uh, on our date day. And uh, we have a Thursday night, date night, and then we kind of do a date day early on Fridays. Friday's our day off. And she'll ask me this randomly all the time. And so at the end of our date day, she asked me, why do you love me? All the time she asked me, all the time. 
And I'll be like, because you're the greatest. Too generic. Give me something else. <laughs> okay. Now, it has to be original every time. I can't be like, because you're a beautiful singer. Nope, I already heard that one. you got to give me another one. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So, so what I do now when we hang out is I'll think of moments throughout our day. So when she goes, why do you love me? I got something right away. You know what I'm saying? Why do you love me? You know? so, she's like, so we're driving back from Napa, and she's like, why do you love me? I said, you know, we were playing cornhole today. I beat her 21 to 4, by the way. Um, <laughs> she married a competitive man. I was like, win, win, win. You know? um, we were playing cornhole in Napa, and uh, my wife, she's hilarious. So she's making me laugh, and there's a couple of jokes she said, and just made me laugh. And also my wife, she's kind of mean, but in a funny way. Like, she makes fun of me, like, in a mean way. Like, I should cry, but I'm laughing. Um, <laughs> and so we get in the car, and, and she goes, why do you love me? And I was like, we were playing cornhole, and I was winning 18 to 4. And, um, you know, I threw the, threw the cornhole, and I said something. And just the wittiness, you're just so witty. I just, you just, you've made me laugh for seven-plus years. I love you. You know, and then Rachel's like, okay, that's a good one. You can it, that passes. And I'm like, okay, I'm good for 24 hours. You know. And th this is our marriage, okay? Now, we take our earthly love and we put it on a heavenly father that has a heavenly love. And a lot of the time we ask God, why do you love me? Why do you love me, God? And the, the gospel message is, here's why he loves you. Are you ready? He loves you because he loves you. That's it. That's not a good enough answer for a human person that needs more. I know. Read your Bible. And all he does over and over again is shows how good he is. It's not about how good you are. Never. The more you read the Bible, the more, I hope you see this, the more you read the Bible, the more flawed you actually realize you are. It says your best days are like a dirty rag. The more and more I read the Bible, I don't get arrogant. I get more humble and just go, wow, you, you love me because you're love. And so the church of Corinth didn't see this. And so they didn't love people to just love people. They love people who achieved. They love people who could do something. They love people they could get something out of. This is a perverted love. This is not the love of the world. This is the love of the world, not the love of the kingdom. And so he goes on, and again, this rebuke, you'll see this throughout. Jesus says, well, how will you know people are my followers? John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, even if you love if you love one another. Let me read 35 again real quick. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you what? If you move mountains, if you prophesy, if you are the smartest, if you are enlightened with truth, if you're the rule follower, that's how they know you're my disciple? No, it says, they will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Rachel and I just uh, downloaded Disney Plus. Who got Disney Plus? Come on now. Come on, Disney Plus. Um, we got Disney Plus, Apple Plus, Netflix, uh, Paramount Plus, cable. Our bill's about $500 a month. Woohoo! Um, all for entertainment. Uh, I'm kidding. There's no such thing as a Paramount Plus. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so we download Disney Plus. It's Thursday nights or date night. We don't want to go out because we knew we were going to go out Friday. And so uh, we, uh, of course, DoorDash and we DoorDashed what Rachel wanted DoorDash. So what was it? Taco Hale is the new name. I feel terrible afterwards. Sinful. Um, Taco Bell. Uh, so we ordered Taco Bell. My wife loves Taco Bell. So we DoorDash Taco Bell. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll DoorDash to Taco Bell. You go get the Disney Plus ready and we'll, we'll watch uh, Disney Plus. And so uh, I come out 15 minutes later and Rachel is watching uh, Little Mermaid. And I, I don't know what I walk into, but, but Rachel's sitting there and she's literally like weeping. She's like, Tyler, Disney Plus is the greatest invention of mankind. It has our whole childhood in it. Little Mermaid, do you remember when you watched Little Mermaid for the first time? You know? And I was like, 
Do you, have you ever entered into a scenario where you're just not in the same place as somebody else? Do you need a hug? Like, you know, so you, know, you try to identify, like, yeah, it's crazy. Wow, we have access to the whole vault. This is amazing. I'm sitting there looking at Disney Plus, and, and you just look at all the Disney stories, and all the greatest stories point to the story, which is Jesus, just, just so you know. All of them point. It's, it's everything that we long for. It's, it's always longing for one thing. It's Jesus. Everything. And so there's this one movie that we all know as a childhood one. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's Beauty and the Beast. And if you know the story of Beauty and the Beast, again, look at the similarities real quick. You've got <coughs> this beast that <coughs> is cursed, is cursed to die as a beast and needs a love that would transform him from a beast to the prince. And so we watch this story of a beautiful person who loves somebody for who they are, not what they can give them. Loves somebody for not what they look like, but actually who they are actually and who they could be. And so you watch this amazing movie, Beauty and the Beast, and, and Belle, of course, saves Beast's life with her love, and, and everybody just loves that movie and loves that story. And if I could just be honest, all of us desire to be transformed by that kind of love. And so in our culture, we, we want to get a love from people and love from spouses and love from friends and love from workers and thumbs up and everything, thinking that could transform us. But if I could just be honest, there's only one love that could transform your life that makes all the things, if I'm being honest, you don't look like a beast on the outside, but if we could actually open up the cavity of your soul and your heart, how many things look that gross we would be shocked by, including myself. And then Jesus comes into our life and loves us where we're at and makes us this dead thing to this beautiful thing. And then the church comes on the scene and thinks that we're not supposed to do the same thing for others. We are called to be beauty in dark places. The Bible in Song of Solomon says lily among the thorns. It's this beautiful picture. Thorns represent sin. Thorn represents destruction. And it says that Jesus would be the lily among the thorns. It would be the beauty among the grossness. It would be the light among the dark. And then the church comes along and Jesus says, now I'm going to give you this reconciliation. I'm going to give you this job to be the, 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 the loud church, but not loud with your words, but to be a lily among the thorns. Go be beautiful in this dark world. How do we miss it? How? Can I just... I do not want to pastor this type of church. Can I just say real quick? Mission Church is 18 months old. Corinth was about six years old at this time. They were exploding. They were doing great things. And they were getting a lot of eyes. What I mean by that is I have a dream for Mission Church. I have a dream that this church is going to keep growing, not just to grow, but so people will be saved, that lives will be restored, that marriages will become everything they're supposed to be, that, that families will be everything they're supposed to be. That is the dream of Mission Church, because I believe that's the dream of the church. Jesus is, the church is not my idea, it's Jesus' idea. I just want to be a part of his dream. But as the church gets bigger, it sometimes loses its way, and it gets caught up in the wrong things. And so you got to give yourself a question real quick. And this is something I want all, you are, you are being inducted to help steward the culture of the church, okay? You are in, boom, you are knighted, okay? Here's the deal. You get into a group, you better, you can police this. You can police this. Don't police everything, but police this. If you walk out of a group and you're like, man, every time I leave that small group, I'm just like, I'm more judgmental than I was before. Every time I leave a small group, I feel like I'm like the smart one now and everybody else, I get Christianity, but they don't get Christianity. Have you ever met the enlightened Christians that really understand what God hates and what he really likes? And so they tell you, don't go to there. Don't listen to that guy. Don't do that. Don't go to that church. Do this church. Have you ever met that person before? Because they're the smart one now. They get the, they get the Bible more than you do. But they don't love people. They don't love God. 
That group just religized them. There's another word for you. It's made of something, okay? Truthized them. It's all about truth and that's it. But yes, of course it's about truth. But if you're going to walk around and be the truth police and not love people, guess what you're doing? Nothing is what the Bible says. This is an ultimate rebuke. If we have small groups, let me just be honest, believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, believe in speaking in tongues, I believe people can be healed today. These are all things in the Bible. Look how John Piper unpacks it. He goes, it's impossible to look at the Bible and say those things are done for today. It's impossible. It's impossible to read the Bible as a whole and say the power of God is gone. It's impossible to look at it that way. John Piper, one of the greatest teachers, way smarter than I am. And so imagine getting a group, and they're the, what I call the spiritualized group. They're going to spiritualize you, okay? They're going to teach you prophecy. They're going to teach you how to heal people. They're going to teach you all the things, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you get spiritualized. And so you walk out going, oh, you don't know how to prophesy yet? You don't have the spiritual power yet? And you see, so they walk around, and everybody's getting spiritualized. But guess what? They don't love anybody. Who cares? You moved mountains in that group, but you didn't love anybody. We've gained nothing as a church. Every single small group, every single meeting, we should be centered around one thing. Man, I want to fall in love with God more today. And I want to love people more today. And if you have a group where you're learning how to operate in the power of God, man, if it's not for his glory, and it's not for people to find the love and redemption of God, we have missed it. If you are studying the truth of God's word, but it's not to teach people the love of God, we have missed it. We will be a church that when people come in, we will produce disciples that love this world, no strings attached. Because that's what the Bible shows us. Amen? So let's close with this. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. i got five minutes and 30 seconds. I went 15 minutes over last service. Turn to your neighbor and say, buckle up. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm going to do better this time. Uh, So how does a church get so out of alignment? And how do we stay in alignment? Let's just talk about that. So let's just talk about, like, like, it would be the saddest thing for me that if we're, like, four years old and we become, like, the church that knows all of the Bible and we're, like, enforcing things and we're known as, like, the church that tells you what the bad churches are and the bad pastors are and the good things and the bad things, that's what we're known for. I don't want to be known for that. Or we become the church like, man, did you, you know that somebody got raised from the dead last week at their service? Which would be, holy cow. Uh, <laughs> they moved a mountain. Like, Mount Diablo is now in Martinez. Like, that church literally moved a mountain, literally. But man, they're full of jerks. Who cares if we moved a mountain? But man, as our years go on, they go, man, like, the people I meet there, when I came to that church, and I got into groups, and people, people loved me. And I fell in love with God there. So how does that happen? How do we stay in that rhythm? How do we, how do we stay in that place? And if I could just... Be very simple. I think you got to learn how to stretch if you want to stay aligned. Uh, a few years ago, gosh, I think it's like five or six years ago, I had my worst back injury ever. My back went out uh, for six months. I couldn't swing a golf club. It hurt to walk, hurt to bend over. Everybody's like, even how this, how the stool was birthed, is I was sick that day and my back was bad. And so I was like, I need a stool to preach. So I remember sitting on a stool because my back was hurting. And then I was preaching. I was like, I kind of like the stool. And so I just kept the stool. That's literally how the stool happened. Okay, six years ago, bad back. I sat on it, and now I just, you know, kind of reminds me of, you know, a season where I was like, man, Lord, I'm thankful that my body feels good now. So I love you, stool. Um, it's not the same stool because they break. Um, but that's how the stool is birthed. And so I remember going to a chiropractor and the chiropractor click, click, snapped my back in alignment. I was like, oh, I thought like literally the chiropractor broke me, but actually it was like, a, oh, and I remember like walking. I was like, oh my gosh, my back, my back feels better. And I don't really believe in chiropractors until that moment. I was like, oh wow, they do work. Like, that's awesome. You know? And 
And so I was going uh, twice a month. And I remember the first time I, w- I met with my chiropractor, she showed me all these stretches and, you know, um, you know, taught me, gave me a roller so I could roll out my IT band and my hamstring and my, my calf because everything's connected and it pulls on stuff. And so, so I remember, you know, she taught me those things for a week. I was stretching and then I stopped stretching. Then I would come to the chiropractor twice a month. I was like, gosh, my chiropractor forgot how to chiropract because my back hurts and uh, it's not working anymore, you know? And so I remember like, you know, like finessely saying like, hey, am I gonna have to come to like, you for the rest of my life? Because like, it's not really working that much anymore. And, I'm not, and you know, just very kindly, she goes, are you still stretching? Maybe. <laughs> no, you know, it was like months later. And she's looked at me and it was like one of those moments like, you will have to stretch for the rest of your life. And you'll have to be faithful with it. Every night before you go to bed, you need to stretch. You're naturally, your, your hamstring's really tight and it's gonna pull on your back. And if you aren't careful and you ignore it, it will, again, it'll pull your back out of alignment. Well, if we could just, again, see the, just the easy similarity in this. You come to church on Sunday and you hear the word of God and it aligns you. Man, I was being religious this week. You ever met a Christian who just gets really spun up about stuff? Spun up about people, spun up about what's going on here, and spun up what's going on there. They're just all out of whack. And so like, did you know this person did this? I'm worried about this person and that person. And, and they're just talking about everybody. Here's the reason why. Because they're out of alignment. Their eyes are focused on the people instead of Jesus. So they're not loving people. They're just spun up about everything that's going on. So you come to church and you're like, oh my gosh, I was so spun up. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm calibrated again. I, I get it. Like Jesus is king. He's in charge. He loves me. I need to love people. But then you miss church on a Sunday and you get all stressed out again and, and you're not calibrated anymore. And so you come back to church like, okay, okay, I'm good again. But then you go to church for four months. You're like, I just, it's not working the way it was in the very beginning. This cannot be your all in all. You gotta learn how to stretch. And the Bible even like talks about like literally, literally like the stretch, how God likes to stretch us. Even Moses he says, Moses, when you stretch out your hand, that's when I'm gonna split the Red Sea. Not when you keep back here, you gotta, it, the blessing's in the stretch. It, Excuse me, I just inhaled my spit. <laughs> Pause, rewind. <sighs> oh, it's painful. So even the guy who has his infirmity on his hand, for God to heal, he goes, you gotta stretch it out. So if I could just give you five stretching tips as your pastor. One is, if you're not praying daily, have fun getting spun up by the world. Praying stretches you out. Praying expands your capacity. Praying teaches you, well, how should I pray? The Bible tells you how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Stretching calibrates you. Hallowed be your name means, God, you are first in my life. I am not first. Money's not first. My dreams aren't first. You are first. Well, how else should I pray? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom of love and restoration. May that, not my agenda, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. It's stretching out who you're supposed to be. It goes on to say that you ask for your daily bread because guess what? You can't provide what you need. The peace you need, you can't provide it. God, whatever I need today, if I need peace, give it to me. If I need wisdom, give it to me. Whatever that bread is, give it to me, God. Instead of telling God what you need, you come and say, give me whatever you think I need because he knows more than you do. Then it goes on to say, God, forgive me as I forgive others. Well, I mean, I gotta forgive people every day. You don't forgive every day. Just to give you a heads up, every night before I go to bed, because I'm a pastor, I gotta forgive every night. Rachel and I in our prayers, at nighttime we pray. Pray that he bless our church. He'd bless our team. And I say, God, will you forgive us? And I say, God, I forgive. I forgive the people that are lying about me right now. I forgive about the people who are gossiping about me right now. But I've, I release the penny debt because, God, you forgave me for so much more. And it goes on to talk about in that prayer, it talks about deliver us from the evil one and, and it makes you even understand that there is somebody who wants to still kill and destroy everything that's dear to you. 
that there is an enemy that would love to steal and destroy your identity, destroy your value. So Lord, may I be aware when those things are trying to be stolen from me, that when somebody says something not true about me, that it wouldn't steal my joy, deliver me from those things. When I try to walk down a road to pleasure, deliver me from the things that would steal actually from my fulfillment of life. So stretches in the prayer, stretches in serving. Man, you wanna be fruitful? Start serving. There is a fruitful, you wanna learn to have a fruitful life, you gotta learn how to have a faithful life. And people who are faithful servants, there's just a different fruit. It calibrates you. You don't take yourself as serious. Serving is stretching. You wanna be fruitful, learn how to give. Giving is stretching. Oh, giving stretching. I remember the first time I started giving, I just had to trust God that what his word was true. God, that if I, if I give you my first fruit, that you will bless my 90% more than if I kept my 100%. Lord, I'm gonna stretch and believe. I'm gonna stretch by giving. It kills selfishness and creates me as a generous selfless giver. There's, there's a stretch in small groups. If you've ever been to a bad small group and people you didn't like and you got to love for seven weeks, that will stretch it. For us to be a church that stays aligned, man, we got to stretch. And last but not least, I told you it was about 15 minutes. I'm going to be done in 10 instead. Now, four more minutes to go. Bear with me. Second question is, how does a church get so sick? How does a church get sick? How does it get poisoned? How does it like literally just like becomes a toxic place instead of a life-giving place? This last week I took our staff, modern day theologian, a guy named Nathan Finocchio. He started an online school called TheoU. And uh, not only did he start an online school, thousands of people are subscribing already, just teaching the word of God and really just the context of what scripture is supposed to be in our life. It's, it's an amazing thing. He's, of course, written a book. And great theologians make the basic things beautiful. They just make the basic things beautiful. And so he does this teaching out of Psalm 103. And he talks about this study that he read recently in, uh, in a book he was reading by a psychologist that showed that only a third of people, when they get a prescription of medicine, actually go get it fulfilled and then take all the pills. So 33% of this room is what it's saying, is that a doctor would write you a prescription for medicine and you would go to the pharmacy, you would get the medicine, and you would take all of it so you would not be sick anymore. Because sin is not rules, sin is a sickness. So you're gonna see this picture real quick. So a third of people will only do that says the other third will go get the prescription, take some of the pills, but not all the medicine because they get busy for the medicine. You would think somebody's health will be at the top of their list, but it's not because they're too busy for their health. And then the other third, this is like the type B's on steroid. They don't even have time to go to the pharmacist to get the prescription and take it. They don't take anything and just hope they get better. And as he's talking about this study that he's been reading recently, and you can Google it, it's all over, of course. I remember this is one of my verses that pierced me when I was a really unforgiving person. It says in Proverbs 4.22, for they are life to those who find them. This is talking about God's word. God's word is life to those who find them and health to their flesh. That Greek word, the Hebrew word, excuse me, health, is medicine to their soul. The word of God is medicine. This morning I was on the fence. I was like, God, do I share what's been, what's been going on with me? I... Here's the deal, I'm somewhat transparent. And so I'm gonna share what's been going on in my life, but you gotta start sharing a little bit what's going on in your life so we can have a little bit of Pharisees. So I'm not the only one that I know that's messed up in this room, okay? Uh, about three months ago, speaking at this young adult event, a thousand young adults, and I go in the bathroom and I just, I wanna preach the best message ever. And I work on it and 
I have my first panic attack of my life. I thought I was having a heart attack. Check my Apple Watch, what's going on with my heart. I'm beating 100 and something beats per minute and I'm sweating. I'm, like, I'm gonna have a heart attack, I'm dying. I never had a panic attack my whole life, first time. And I remember like walking up to the front row and they're about to introduce me. I was like, God, I can't die right now. I'm about to go preach. This would be terrible. And I'm like, this is literally what's going on through my head. And I remember coming up and I preached and, and I got back to church and we started, I wanna say we just finished making great church and doing Dream Again series. And every Sunday, if I could just be honest, I want to preach the best message on the planet. I want to make God proud. I want to be a great communicator. I want, I want to do my best. And so after every message, I would finish making a great church or dream again, and I grade myself. I grade my messages, and I shouldn't probably, but I do. I'm like, that's a single, double, triple, or home run. And so during dream again, you know, dream again, Joseph, I'm like, dang, that was a triple. Not bad. All right. Good job, Tyler. Slept well that night, okay, you know. Dream again, Moses, you know. I was like, dang, I'm going to give that a grand slam. Boom, boom, you know. Um, and so I just, I grade my messages. Just, I'm being, again, this is how I live. Sorry, I'm weird. Um, and then last week, if we could just get to the nitty gritty, I thought I preached the worst message of my life. And I couldn't get over it. I felt like the biggest failure. I felt like this just like, are you done with me, God? Is anybody coming back? Because if you make your walk about grading, man, it's just gonna be this gross, gross journey instead of about God's grace. Do you know that the church of Corinth, one of the biggest problems was, is they found their identity in their Christianity, not their identity in their Christ. They found their identity in their ministry, not their identity in being a son and a daughter of the living God. And so my soul was sick. I was getting toxic as a communicator. I was making it my identity. And so Nathan starts reading Psalm 103 to me. And I felt like it was medicine to my soul at that moment. It was exactly what my soul needed. It was medicine to my, my flesh, like Proverbs 4 says. And he just started reading, praise the Lord, my soul. I couldn't worship the last few days because I felt like a failure. I didn't want to read my Bible. I was like, oh, this is too hard. Oh, it's so hard, God. I love people. I try to do my best. And then I hear them gossiping. That's not even true. This is terrible. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And he stops there. He goes, don't you forget that your God has benefits. It's like health benefits. There's benefits for your life. He's a rewarder. He's not. He wants to reward your life. He wants to be a benefit in your life. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who set, I don't believe, but I didn't feel like I had value. All that is saying is that God is gonna give you a value not of this world, a value of royalty. Nobody can give you that kind of value. Only God can give you that kind of value. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. G.K. Charleston, a great theologian says this, God doesn't grow old, we do. We're not supposed to grow old. Of course, physically, but not spiritually. We should always have a vibrancy about our faith. We should always have a vibrancy about our hope. We should always have a vibrancy about what God's doing in our life. We should always be renewed like, uh, like, uh, like wings on eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. Goes on to verse eight. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Come on now, does not treat us the way our sins deserve or repay us accordingly to our iniquities. Our sins again is what he's saying. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, you can't calculate how high that is, how high his love is. So great is his love for those who fear him. Stop. I have been always a person that tends to be an illegalistic Christian in my own life. If I am holy this week, my message will be better. 
And so I felt like, what am I doing wrong? Should I do this? What about this God? And I just started creating this gross, toxic thing in my soul. And Psalm 103 starts getting read and it says this, his love is overflowing on my life, that he will bless me, that it will benefit me. Here's the one thing I need to do. There's the only one thing it says I need to do. I need to fear him. And fear is a weird word to use in Psalms, but what it means, I need to have reference on who's in charge. That's it. That's it. Have you ever seen a four-year-old worried about paying the bills of a house? No. Have you ever seen a four-year-old walk in, are we gonna be able to get the new car? Are we gonna be able to send me to college when I'm 18? Do you ever see a four-year-old do that? No, because the parents are in charge. And so instead of stressing out about things you can't control, guess what the four-year-old gets all the time? Just love, just loved by the parents. And then you raise up that four-year-old to be somebody who knows what real love is and then loves people. My, my request to you this week is simply this. Allow God to love you this week. Why? Because he loves you. That's it. Don't worry about things. Just say, God, I know that I sin here. I know that I fell here, but your word just told me that you don't judge me according to my sins, but you actually abound love. You forget, oh, I should have read this. Hello, and I'm done. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like I'm reminding God of my sins. And he said, I already forgot him. Stop reminding me of your failures. I already forgot him. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to restore you. Why would you do that, God? I didn't do anything good. Because I'm God and you're not. This is the church. This is the promise of God. Man, church gets toxic if you have to achieve his love, if you have to achieve his redemption, if you have to achieve his blessing, if you've got to achieve his grace. Because you received it freely, guess what happens to you? You give love freely. Will you bow your heads? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.